Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 234 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to thank three of our amazing Patreon supporters by telling you about some of the awesome opportunities that they have for you. First, Charlie Vandenbrock and Jost Panacook have teamed up with some fantastic photographers in Europe to create This Way Photography Tours and Workshops. The core of their business model is to help you learn about and respect nature as a photographer. They are deeply aligned with the Nature First principles, and so we can highly recommend them to you. Visit yougothisway.com to learn more. Next, I want you to know about John Norris. John is a Patreon supporter and is what you might call obsessed with Joshua Tree National Park. He spends all of his free time learning the nooks and crannies of Joshua Tree and he has some amazing openings in his 2021 and 2022 small group and one-to-one -one workshops. Check out johnnorrisphoto.com to learn more. All right, well this week on the podcast, I was joined by Richard Burnaby, an international travel, landscape, and wildlife photographer who has been recommended about four billion times to be on the podcast, and we finally made it happen. Richard was an absolute blast to talk to, and I just love interacting with him over on Twitter, where he has over a million followers. Richard has been in the photography game full-time for 20 years, and with that comes a lot of wisdom, experience, and hindsight, which he shares with us on today's episode. Let's dive in. All right. At long last, finally, Richard Burnaby is on the podcast. Here I am. Hey, Matt. <laughs> Hey, welcome. Welcome to the show, man. It's been uh, something I've been, we've been trying to pull off for a while now, and, and I'm just so glad that we were finally able to make it happen. I, I take all the blame. It's Any reason why we've not been able to get together in the past is, is probably my fault, so I'm, I'm more than happy to accept whatever blame comes my way. <laughs> well, I deserve you know, it. I am not a fan of assigning blame. I like to just understand why things happen, so... Um, I'm not here to assign any blame whatsoever. I'm just excited that we're going to have a great conversation. I'm stoked to be here. Sweet. Well, you know, just let's just kick this right off. You know, I think you've been recommended to me by so many of our listeners, as well as former guests, including Eric Stensland and, and Jerry Greer and all kinds of amazing people. So it's cool to have you here. So, but for, for people that are perhaps unfortunate to not have known you or to follow you on Twitter, for example. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then I would love to follow that up with uh, learning how you got into this wild goose chase that we call photography. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I've been doing this professionally for about 20 years. I think it's going to be 20 years this winter. And uh, it's, you know, just a, one of those typical follow your passion type stories. I was in a, a soulless corporate job going back, you know, like I said, over 20 years ago. And uh, this was kind of a hobby. And I was making a little bit of money doing some writing and doing some photography on the side. And uh, just got to a point in my life where I, I, I was kind of just going through the motions and working for a paycheck. Like I said, a soulless corporation. <laughs> and I stumbled upon a quote. This is this is what kind of got things in motion. I stumbled upon a quote uh, from Thoreau, um, from Walden. I think it was 1854. I didn't know any of this at the time. I just saw the quote, and it was, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. And that quote kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I didn't, I had never uh, 
uh, read Walden up to that point. So I didn't know what the context was. I didn't know what exactly he meant by it, but I knew what it meant to me. I knew that I, I, uh, I knew what the quiet desperation was. And I know I didn't want to be one of those men. So immediately what came to mind when I, when I read this was because I'm a bit of a music nerd or music junkie was a song by the police in 1983 synchronicity Two. Do you remember that song? It's, and it's, it's full of uh, <laughs> lyrical vignettes of suburban desperation, um, memorably phrased such as uh, grandmother screaming at the wall and uh, the husband to each meeting with superiors is a humiliating kick in the crotch. So I mean, you can't forget those lyrics. That's immediately what I thought. Of. I thought of that song. And uh, so you say, I guess my escape from the corporate life into photography was in a way a, a escape from the proverbial knee in the groin. That's the best <laughs> way I could put it. I love that. Yeah, no, I think um, I talked to a lot of people in this space in photography that uh, kind of have these aspirations, you know, to... You know, they have these frustrations around where their life's at in terms of the corporate life and what's the purpose of my life. And, and I think a lot of people are aspiring to, to do what you've done 20 years ago. And yeah, it was just uh, not that it was a bad job. It was a good job. It just didn't, I didn't have any direction or purpose. I guess purpose would be the right word. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, I, I, I tell people this all the time. It's, it's amazing when you do find what you were meant to do in life. And um, I know, I think most people probably haven't yet, but don't quit searching. It can, it can happen at any time in your life, regardless of what your age is, but find what that purpose is. Find whatever it is that, um, you know, it feels right when it happens. You know, you're doing exactly what you're meant to do. And there's no better way to, uh, to live your life other than in that, in that way. So what was the moment for you that you kind of realized that, photography was that thing for you? You know, I, 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 I'd like to be a writer. I wish I could write. I just, <laughs> I never, if I couldn't write to, to express, I think it's a, just a human need to be able to express yourself um, mm -hmm. creatively or otherwise. And if I were a better writer, I had taken writing classes in, in high school or college or something like that, or taken that more seriously, maybe that I would have gone in that direction. So I like to write. I'm just not good at it. <laughs> well, I, I, li I like to take pictures and I'm not good at that either. So, and so, so this <laughs> all of a sudden it was like everything kind of came together with the, with the photographs and um, it was a way of expressing myself it was a way of expressing the things that were meaningful to me. It was an outlet, a creative outlet. It opened my eyes, you know, um, when I want to talk to people who are struggling with photography, you're just going through the mechanics of it. And I said, one day, one day you're going to see the world completely different than you did before. And uh, it's not going to be like an epiphany. It's going to be all of a sudden, you're just going to notice that you're, you're seeing things differently than you did before. Just walking to the mailbox, you're going to see light and shadows and forms and relationships and shapes and lines that you didn't see before you undergone this journey. And it'll be like, wow, it just, it just happened. And that, it, all that kind of came together and I, f I found my, my purpose in life, I guess it sounds kind of corny, I guess, but it's, that's what it was. And I knew that I was, that there's a, there's a saying, and I don't know where I heard it or where I read it, but when, when a person is confronted, a certain person is confronted with a certain type of beauty, 
he's either saved or ruined. And in my case, I guess it was both. I was saved and ruined because I can never go back to the real world again. So it was either I have to make this work or I'm going to end up selling pencils out of a cup on a street corner because I'm ruined and saved at the same time. No, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was curious, you know, in terms of your path, um, one, of, one of my favorite things about the podcast is that we get to to dig into all of the life lessons and 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 the things that you know the failures that other people have experienced in their journey and you know as someone who's been in the craft for 20 years and has has had a great deal of success i would love to hear about kind of you know especially the the early days of your journey in terms of what that looked like day to day or how you went from corporate life to, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a full-time photographer. Uh, all I can say is looking back on those first couple of years is that I had no idea what I was doing. That, I mean, that is perfectly clear that I had no idea what I was doing. I was going to <laughs> day by day, just kind of figuring things out. You know, I thought, I thought I knew, I thought when I said, you know, I have to make a change. I'm going to give this a shot. I'm giving myself two years. And I was probably as, as far as most people, I was rel- started relatively late in life. So it was in my mid to late thirties mm-hmm. when I made this change. It was either now or never. If I waited too much longer, then I'd never have had that, I think that window. But I said, if I give myself two years, if I can't stand on my own two feet, if I can't uh, do this, I can always go back to a conventional job anywhere, anytime. Um, but I would never forgive myself if I didn't take that chance. And two years, I think is, is plenty of time to, to establish whether this is um, doable or not. Mm-hmm. So after two years of stumbling around, uh, somehow, you know, some of it was just a lot of work and some of it was pure luck. Um, every time I got to the point where I said, well, this is just not going to happen. This is not going to work. Something would happen. Something would fall out of the sky and just say, oh, this is going to, this is going to buy me a few more months. Cause this, I can, and then all these little victories that you made, little seeds you planted accumulate into some kind of momentum so that after two years, I wasn't quite in the black, but I could see the light of. I could see that it was going to happen. There was a, there was a um, uh, that event horizon of black hole that I wasn't coming back out. I crossed that event horizon, um, and that it was going to work out in the, in the end somehow. But um, things really didn't start uh, going my way until I'd say four or five years into that. So there was some. There were some sacrifices and some a lot of work and a lot of uh, worrying at, at times, but um, it was by far the best decision I ever made in my life. I love it. So, you know, 20 years ago would have been 2001. A lot has changed in this industry since then, including social media and the, you know, the digital revolution and, you know, the shift away from... Uh, print media and stock photography as being cash cows and the list goes on in terms of all the shifts that have occurred since then. Do you think that somebody, um, like if you were to have been born 20, 20 years later, do you think that you would have the same success today as you did 20 years ago in today's environment? You know, that's, I, I've thought about that myself or 20 years earlier. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, where you know you're you're just doing stock photography. That was the conventional way of of making it in the genres that we work in, the wildlife and in, in, um, 
and landscape and nature, you you accumulated a stock library of photos, and you you, you made copies and you sent them out to to magazines and books to hopefully get published here and there. And people paid for it back then, mm-hmm. and you could make a living. I remember there was a, a formula that John Shaw had that for every I think ten thousand. I I forgot that what the formula was. There's something like however many stock images you had, you can count on um, like a tenth of that producing revenue or something. Anyway, you could make a living that way. I don't know. That sounds like a rather boring way to make a living, honestly. Um, although you'd be shooting the things you would, would want to be shooting, you wouldn't be spending time doing things you wouldn't want to do, and there wouldn't be sure. this cottage industry of of education that came along with the digital revolution. So. I, I'm not quite sure. I think I just, uh, just pure luck that it was that things happened at the moment they happened. I came in um, you know, working with film. I learned on film, 35 millimeter, and then I spent uh, two years shooting four by five uh, field camera exclusively. I didn't pick up a 35 millimeter camera for a good 18 months, two years. Um, each one of those being a, a learning experience, uh, and then just breaking out of that into the digital, and then. All of a sudden, we're into a whole new world with the internet and then social media. And um, suddenly, people wanted to learn how to do what what you do. And they and, and there was ways to reach people that you couldn't reach them before. So that all happened. You know, we were looking at, what, 2006, 2007? That would have been about five years after I turned pro. It just happened at the right time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, luckily... I I embraced those changes. I know a lot of people who resisted them. Yeah. Um, both the digital revolution and the internet and social media and they were slow because they I think people just naturally um averse to change. I embraced those things and kind of just rode that wave and um if that wave of all those things we just talked about happened 5 or 10 years later, I'm not sure you know, if I would have made it, maybe not, maybe I would have, I don't know. Yeah. Or if it happened earlier, maybe I'd just been too late. I, that could have happened also. So I, I, you know, I'm just fortunate because I was the recipient of a lot of luck and being at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I think a lot of people are hesitant to change as you're suggesting. And I know we'll talk much later, hopefully in the podcast about NFTs and that whole revolution that's occurring. But I think in any given business person or, or company or a corporation or whatever, I think what we find is that the the entities that can adapt quickly to change and can be nimble and pivot and adapt to those changes and, and anticipate those changes are the types of individuals and companies that find themselves to be the most successful. And I think you know, hindsight being 2020, there was a lot of photographers back in the mid 2000s that resisted that digital shift that I think kind of, kind of got left behind. Yeah. And, and that's where I think, you know, I talk about the soulless corporation, but I think having a business background helped me in that respect too. Yeah. So I did treat it as a business and I'm always looking, trying to look over the horizon, not what's happening now, but what's about to happen or what's going to happen in the future. And that probably maybe helped me a little bit more than some others. And I know most artists and photographers are are uh, not A type personalities anyway. They're 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 somewhat passive and they're somewhat uh, right. You know they they think 
or they believe that you you concentrate on your work, and if you do good work, eventually you'll be found, and that it's will sell true. itself, <laughs> and things will just work out, and it's just it's all about the work, and that is true. You don't want to be one of those that's all hype and all marketing and no nothing to back it up either. Right, 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 right. But it, it needs to be both, and right. I think that's the biggest myth with any artist is that your your art won't sell itself. I mean, there's there's a select very few that were that didn't have to do lift a finger to to promote themselves or do any kind of marketing or or any kind of business strategy. But you have to do it. You have to you have to be thinking. You have to be looking over the horizon as to what's coming or what uh, Wayne Gressy said. He doesn't skate to where the puck is. He skates to where he thinks it's going to be. Um, that you you have to think that way. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because I think as photographers and artists, we have different. Motivate different types of things that motivate us um, in terms of our photography, and you know, if you're and and different ways that we measure success, right? Like, I think you know, in and in it, in it spans a wide spectrum. You know, you have everyone on one spectrum who you know, business success is like everything, and and I think those the people that that that's their mindset. You know, they they learn very quickly that in order to to do that, like it's it's you know, it's like eighty percent marketing and business decisions and and all of that kind of stuff. And then you have everyone at the other end who's like, I don't care about making money. I don't care about business. I just like my success is rooted in how I feel about the images that I create or, or even more interestingly, you know, the actual just process of making the images. And, and I think, I think a lot of times people that are looking to go full-time lose sight of those motivations, and I'd be curious to hear about um, where you where you land as somebody who has found success um, and kind of has that business background. I'd be curious to hear about kind of your relationship to those more artistic and intrinsic motivations that you that you have. I think one definition is just as good as the other. If um, if although I think that if you're motivated by financial success solely. Rarely um, are you going to get there. I don't think you're going to be happy. I think that that being a successful on a, on a, in a business aspect or financial aspect is, is important. But another definition of success is doing what you love to do and being happy. And if you're paying yeah, your sure. bills, and that's all, you don't need to accumulate. You don't need to be um, wealthy or rich or super successful for for most. And I think this is a great definition of of being success: doing what you love, being happy. And and paying your bills and living comfortably that that should right. be enough for for us for any of us. That's like the sweet spot. <laughs> right that is there. a sweet spot, and 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 so and some people would laugh at that and think that that's an, an, some kind of idealistic view of what success is. And I have nothing. I would have been fine with that at any point on that journey. <laughs> is doing what I love, and, and that alone is a, is a. As a criterion for success is doing what you love and being happy. And, and that, sh- that should be enough. But then there's going to be people who want more than that. And I, I, I just don't think by chasing money, chasing financial success is ever going to bring happiness. I do think that doing what you love and doing it intensely uh, will bring about success as a byproduct. Mm-hmm. That um, the, you're, the things that you love, the things that you're in, you wake up every morning thinking about this particular thing and you go to bed each night thinking about the same thing and all the hours, the idle hours in between you're reading about it. And um, that's the thing you're probably going to do best in life, right? 
that's that's where you're going to excel. So just chase that and let a lot of the other you know more tangible uh, definitions or measures of success take care of itself, and they normally will. Yeah, it's interesting. That kind of reminds me of uh, 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 Gary uh, Vaynerchuk. I'm, I'm, hopefully, I didn't mispronounce his name, but I think he has a, a whole like book that's called Crush It, which is all about like just focusing on your passions, and 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 that will probably yield um, some success for you in your life. And, and it, that's become a bit of a cliche, honestly. Sure, and sure, you, sure. And you hear that a lot. You know, just you know, just chase your passions and and. and um, it is probably a bit of a platitude, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And you have, you know, you have, you can't just be all about just chasing your passion, passion and everything take care of itself. You have to be aware of everything going on around you as far as right. you know, paying your bills and, and, and putting money aside, investing money, whatever it may be. And mar- marketing there's a lot that of passion truth to, <laughs> to crush it. I mean, that's tr- crush it. There's a lot of truth to that, but it can't, that can't be everything. That can't be it. But, I, I don't think that you'll be happy or successful doing something that you don't enjoy. And unfortunately that, you know, that encompasses most people and their jobs. They don't like what they do and they don't enjoy what they do. And just going through the motions to get that by weekly paycheck. And you know that they're not um, being the best at what they could, they can be or doing yeah. the best they could do. And, and uh, so there's, there's, yeah, it is a cliche and, but there's a lot of truth to it. Sometimes cliches and platitudes are, cliches and platitudes because there's some truth to it. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So let's talk about what you do. So, you know, you're, you're known as a international travel photographer. You know, you, you, you make photographs all over the world. What exactly does that entail? <laughs> it's well, um, it's, it started by doing some assignments. It uh, ended somewhere, um, now of just going places that I personally am interested in. Maybe not right now, <laughs> you know, strike the last 18 months. But before that I would go to places, if it interests me, I would go. Or if, um, you know, as you're probably aware that international photography tours and workshops have become big and then, and then sharing places that are important to you and places that are meaningful to you. Uh, sharing those places with other people and 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 uh, taking to the best places during the best light and show and giving some basics on composition and how to work a scene and how uh, you know, how you you know express those places that are that are uh, least important to me. I I would not go to places that that I'm ambivalent about. I just don't want to waste my time going to places that I don't really care about. So I go to places that um, I've either been many times before and I've got a uh, some sort of emotional connection some good memories some good images and i just can't wait to go back myself but what what a drag it must be to to take clients to places that you wish you weren't there i mean it's I mean, it's got to it's got to suck for them too if you know you you yourself don't even want to be there you, that's hard to hide mm-hmm. yeah so sure. it's a, it's a mix of things um it's a mix of doing doing some assignments doing uh just some personal shooting set of curiosity or my own desire to go to places and then um, sharing those places with other people. What is that? Uh, what is that lifestyle like for, for someone who, you know, I've <laughs> context is important. You know, I've, I've been to Mexico, Ireland and Iceland. <laughs> and, Three good ones. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, one of those was for photography. So, 
you know, I don't do a ton of international travel, but I, I spend a lot of time getting to know where I live and I've traveled extensively within a hundred miles of my house. But, you know, so, 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 so what you do is enticing and kind of a foreign idea to me in terms of what it really means and, you know, how, how long you're not home and, and, and all of those logistical and emotional and psychological challenges. So I'd be curious to hear kind of what that's like for someone like you. Well, I mean, it's a combination of, uh, of excitement and exhaustion traveling is 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 exhausting it, it's it sounds very glamorous and it sounds uh romantic in a way of just you know getting on a plane and flying here and flying there and taking pictures it's a lot of work um traveling just just the logistics of going place to place is a lot of work and then you know anyone who does photography seriously knows that that's a lot of work too it's it's not uh, it's not skipping through fleet fields of daisies, you know, snapping left and flapping right and singing songs. It's a lot of work, so it's exhausting, but it's also exciting. Anytime I go to a new place, it's so it's uh, um, it's exhilarating seeing something for for the first time. Sometimes places click with me, and I and I connect emotionally. I connect, um, and other places just don't for whatever reason. It's it's don't know why. But someplace I just like, yeah, that was fun. I don't really care to go back. Beautiful, um, you know, enticing in every way, visually enticing in every way. But for whatever reason, just didn't click. And there's other places that I continually go back to. Iceland, you mentioned, is one. I've probably been to Iceland 20 or 25 times. Um, There's just certain places that I am drawn to and I I have to go back. And I miss terribly, particularly after these um, last 18 months. And then, and then there's also a side of me that's that sort of um, uh, I'm kind of jealous of people who who find an area that they they connect to, and they 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 instead of going wider like I've done over sixty countries, go deeper in one or two places close to home that they just get to know intimately right. on, a, on a on a on a deep deep level, and you can see it in the the body of work. And I would put you in that category, but our, I'm sure you've had Guy Tal on, yeah. um, on this podcast. I, I same with his work. He he works a certain area, and he works deeply, and you could see his love for the land um, and those places. So I am somewhat jealous of that lifestyle too, in a way. I I want everything. I can't have everything. So I just right now I'm just chasing the things that I love, and um, maybe one day I'll just get tired of travel. I'll just. I'll just focus on one small area and just instead of just uh, a, a, a wider or I'll go deeper. I don't know. So maybe, maybe we can distill this down into uh, answering two questions. So what is the, uh, what is the best part about traveling over to over 60 countries and what is the worst part? Oh, the, the worst part is, you know, is getting there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's not the what was it? It's not the des, It's it's not the destination. It's a journey. The journey sucks. I, mean, I know it's a metaphor. It's only a metaphor for life, but the destinations are great. The journey to get there is awful. It's terrible. I, if I could just leave that out and snap my fingers and be you know, be where I need to be, the the journey is is just the the worst. Um, the best part of traveling is this is going to sound strange. This is going to sound because uh, I don't photograph people for the most part. Very few, very few times I photograph people. 
But the people I meet along the way, even though it may be a wildlife trip or a you know a pretty straight landscape trip or nature trip, um, I meet people along the way, whether they some random encounter in a cafe or restaurant someplace and strike up a conversation with some stranger or a guide or other people that are they're also in the um, visiting the same area. Um, I that's a very strange answer for a, a landscape wildlife photographer, but the, some of the people I meet uh, enhance all those visits and all those, those, those trips. And sometimes when I look at images, uh, those people are still in those images, even though they're not in the frame, I still remember looking at images and remember the people who were with me when I took them. I remember guides, you know, um, yelling at me saying, you know, get your telephoto lens out um, and, and me doing something opposite. And, um, and I said, I'll show you later what I'm doing. I'll show you what I'm doing. And I'm getting the whole conversation I can hear when I, when I look at the image. So um, I've developed a lot of great friendships and, and uh, people that keep in touch. And some people we didn't keep in touch, but still uh, the people are with me in those images, whether they're physically in the images or not. And um, I know that sounds probably counterintuitive no, that- than what you're expecting, but that's, that's, that's really what I – uh, and enjoy those those connections with people that I've made along the way. Yeah, I know that resonates with me. I, I I really appreciate that. In fact, I think that would be something that I would really like as well. <laughs> but you know, I'm also an extrovert and all that. So we're we're a rare we're a rare landscape breed here, Richard. Yeah, yeah. We like people. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so for for those of us who are not doing photography uh, full time. Tell us what a typical day or week looks like. I wish there was such thing as a typical day, um, but but you did mention you know I, I there's there's this romantic idea or glorified idea of what I do, and seventy seventy five maybe eighty percent of it is just con- running a business, is doing all the boring things that you do running a business, and um, that that occupies a lot of my time. And I've got a lot of irons and fire, different things, but it's a lot of it is in, you know, doing calls and on zoom calls and emails and just constantly just doing things that are regular business. But it's that 25% of doing the things that you love that make it all worth it. But, you know, if I'm on the road, obviously my day is much different than if I'm here in the office. And, um, I, I, I work hard and I, I don't know, really know how to describe what a typical day is, but it's a long day. Um, you know, I'm up early in the morning cause I'm just generally a morning person and, um, my day is kind of interspersed of just working or fooling around or going for a run or going to the gym or, or back in the office and it's just kind of in and out and in and out. And I'm usually, you know, in and out of the office until 10 or 11 o'clock. And I guess that's what <laughs> makes it exciting is that there is no typical days or just nothing. Yeah. Nothing is typical. Yeah. It's not like you're punching a time clock or reporting to anyone like you're solely in charge of ensuring that all the things that you need to do to to, uh, find success like that it all rests on your shoulders that's that's um that's just a responsibility of just kind of running a business i guess and that's what i try i don't want to discourage people from doing this full-time that that's one of the most difficult questions for me to answer and i get that at least five or six times a week either on email or a message on social media is this, Hey man, you know, I read your story and, um, 
I want to do what you did. You know, can you tell me how to, you know, I'm in this job. I'm not happy. I want, I want to find meaning in my life. And I want to do what you did. And, uh, can you, can you direct me? Can you lead me to, you know, to, to I want to follow in your footsteps. <laughs> and, um, I, I am in no position to give anyone, you know, any kind of, uh, life lessons or, <laughs> or tell anybody how to live their life. But I, I do try to, to, um, to make sure they're committed before they make any kind of mistake, because this, you know, it, like I said, it could, it could save you or ruin you or a little bit of both, but I don't want to see people's lives ruined. You've already have, um, you know, a family to support and you've got like a job and you've got all the middle-class trappings of a mortgage and car payments and all that sort of thing. Just to it'd be irresponsible just to drop that all and you know, just start doing photography. That would, that would, that would be bad advice. If I told them to do that, I don't know anything about them. I don't know what kind of, how motivated they are. I don't know how a good of a photographer they are. I don't know uh, if they're a good hard worker or if they're lazy. I don't know anything. So I don't really know what to tell them, but I, I, at some point, at some point, and I've, I've got an online class and I, I go over this. So if we have the time, we got time, right? I, I've, I finally came up with an answer when someone asked me this. I say, um, my, 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 answer, my answer to them is the form of a question. It says, um, what are you willing to give up to make it work? What are you willing to sacrifice? And I say, if the answer isn't everything, don't bother. Don't waste your time. Don't waste the universe's time. I said, but I, I do have a couple exceptions. There's, I, th- I think I have three exceptions to that rule. Number one, um, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your family. I mean, you're get, as, a, as, a, as a moral reason, you don't want to sacrifice your family. But on a practical reason, you're going to need them for support, emotional support. Um, and just, you know, obviously, it would be the wrong thing to, to be successful and doing what you love, but lose the people who love you. It's, that's not, it's not worth it. You shouldn't have to sacrifice your family, okay? Secondly, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your health in any way. You, 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 know, you shouldn't make uh, you know, choices that can make you sick or put yourself in danger or anything like that. That's not worth it either. It would be a foolish trade-off to, again, to be successful and not be healthy enough to enjoy it. And then third would be uh, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your self-respect. You shouldn't have to um, cheat anybody or um, take advantage of anyone or do anything unethical or immoral to get it to, to get ahead either. So aside from those three things, family, health, self-respect is the guess the best way to guess word to, to put all that together. Those three things, if you're not willing to sacrifice everything else, your, your Saturday golf game with your friends, uh, maybe you'll have to sell a second car. Maybe you'll have to downsize your home. I don't know. But if you're not at least, and you may not have to do any of those things, but if you're not at least willing to put those on the table now as something you, you're willing to sacrifice, then I, I'm probably going to come to the conclusion that you're not ready to make this move because it's going to require a lot of sacrifice in every bit of your time and your weekends and holidays and, and vacations and at least for a while, probably, maybe not, but probably. But whether that you do or not, you need to at least be willing to give those up if you have to. And if you can't answer in the affirmative to that question, then keep it as a nice little hobby. You know, something to do when you go on vacation, something to do on weekends. Stay happy, you know, enjoy your life. But I wouldn't waste my time. So how did uh, we get here? I don't remember what the question was. No, you're good. Uh, that's not important because it's interesting that your your third 
principle there is actually embedded within one of the questions that I was going to ask you tonight. And I promise. Oh, I know what's coming. Go ahead. No, and I promised the listeners that I did not send you these questions beforehand, but it's almost like you just, you just, you just teed it up like a, like a softball pitcher. You know, you're just like. I I walked right into it. I walked right into it. I know. You did. Well, we'll, we'll see if you, if, 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 if this is the question that you're expecting, but one of the okay. things that I was really curious to to learn about you and your journey and 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 kind of where you're at with your business and and how you relate to everything is 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 around this is this central issue of sacrifice and um, I was really curious to learn if you've had to sacrifice any of your personal values to find success. For example, I've noticed that a lot of photographers who are you know highly marketed are willing to basically shill any product that comes across their desk as long as it means um, that they can continue their success. So I, I want to hear you tell us a little bit about kind of where your boundaries are in terms of your values and how you, how does that, like, do they ever get compromised in order for you to remain successful? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a good question. And um, yeah, I know what's coming up too. Um, I don't think I ever have. Um, I, I get lots of offers because of um, the following I have. I get a lot of offers to, and I turn down probably 75 or 80% of them um, to help promote products. And the, you know, the, the rewards for doing it are almost nothing. I mean, that, 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 that's Exposure. probably what people think. <laughs> Yeah, exposure. But if it's you know if it's a product that I believe in, the product that I use, um, and maybe you will get some free products from it, and you know, I'll throw a couple of names out like uh, Mindshift. Um, it's gear that I use. I use it every sure. single day. No I've brainer. used it for years, and um, I, I have no trouble if somebody asks me about you know a, a camera bag, then um, I can I could do that without feeling like I've you know um, compromised myself, and. Um, I can even go further. And um, there was a camera bag company that I was sponsored by that I really liked their product. And I still like their product. But they were engaged in some um, dishonest things. I'm not going to name the name, but I think you might know. Um, And uh, I gave them up. I quit on them. And that's when I was uh, eventually associated with MindShift. I said, I can't use this product anymore. I I, I don't believe what they're doing. I don't like their business practices. And I gave them up. And started with um, Think Tank and uh, Mindshift. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I can only be one way. I have to be honest. So I can't go. I'm not going to go out and and promote products that I don't believe in, or I don't use, or 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 worse, be seen as a hypocrite promoting one thing, and then when they see me on a photography workshop or a tour, I'm using something else. I, I I'm not that kind of person. I have, I'm I'm nothing if not honest. So I will. Um, I don't know any way that, to do it other than than promote the products that I would use myself. When you look at the the primary ways that photographers can make money nowadays in this space, you know, you have workshops, you have writing books, you know, you have speaker, you know, speaking engagements. There's not a lot of avenues that people can take. And what I see is uh, people take a lot of shortcuts, mm-hmm. especially when they're when they're first getting started in terms of doing things that if they weren't doing it full-time, they would never have done it. 
you know, like that would be a, mm-hmm. something they wouldn't do. For example, maybe maybe they're willing to trespass uh, with a with a bunch of clients to get a photograph that their clients want, or maybe they're willing to um, pr- promote something that is maybe not that that good for the environment, or maybe their personal ethics. So I'd just be curious, you know, someone who has a lot of hindsight, such as yourself, what advice would you have for people that are kind of entering this space in that way, in terms of finding a way to remain true to your values um, while still maintaining success? That was a long-winded. Damn. Yeah, I think you you pretty much answered your own question, and and it goes back to number number three of the of the you know you know, you, you don't sacrifice your self respect. That's one of the three things you don't sacrifice. And it, it, it would be hard to define yourself as successful if, you're, if you sacrifice those three things that I just mentioned and, sec- and, and self-respect would be one of them. I, you know, um, have I made mistakes in the past? Obviously, yes. You can't do 20 years in this business and, and not make mistakes. Absolutely. So are there some things that perhaps I've done somewhere in the past where I've promoted a product that I wish I hadn't? Probably. I can't think of any um, particular instances, but I, I'm sure they're there. Um, as far as like trespassing or doing anything like um, going on some trail that was closed because they're trying you know, for environment, I would never do that. I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to live myself. Or or um, baiting, you know, wild animals or something like that to get a photo. And I, that's something I, I could never cross that line. That's that's mm-hmm. an ethical line that I just couldn't cross. Have I made some judgment mistakes as far as aligning <laughs> myself with some people or some organization that perhaps in hindsight was a bad idea, but I had good intentions to begin with? I'm I have no doubts. I have plenty of those, but um, sure. Uh, but as far as like knowing knowing right and wrong to begin with and making that choice, knowing this is wrong, to get a better shot or getting some kind of short term glory, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that. Uh, I, again, this is just based on my own personal observations of what I see happening in the space, and you know, one of the things that is like I hate to say this, but my burden to bear as the podcast host of over 220 episodes is people, people tell me a lot of stuff <laughs> that, you know, that, that they see and that they've, they, you know, like, Oh, you had so-and-so on your podcast. Did you know this? Um, you know, so I'm not saying anyone said that about you, but you know, that's this, I absorb a lot of that kind of stuff as the podcast host. And so I become intimately aware of some of the questionable things that are happening out there not saying like you said I make bad choices all the time <laughs> I'm not I'm not perfect either um, I'm human so we make bad decisions a lot but you know I think <clears throat> what we can do uh, is try to root ourselves in principle and, and ethics and try to make the best decision and you know it's not always easy especially particularly, particularly if we're in the 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 area of you know the, the nature and wildlife and right. there's, there's too many um, I, I think I'm more in the wildlife space lately, more than, um, than landscape. For some reason, I've sort of drifted in that direction. Mm-hmm. And um, so many uh, people are willing to endanger the subjects they photograph for that short-term glory of a, of a photograph. And there's examples. Once a week, I see something that some stupid photographer has done just to get a little bit closer or to to uh, endanger an animal by baiting it with 
with food or, or some other unethical behavior that, um, it sickens me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not worth it. It's, you know, that's, that's a self-respect part that, uh, you know, we call it morals or ethics. That's fine. I just like lump it all together and say self-respect. I, uh, I wouldn't respect myself if I had to, re- to resort to those kind of tactics to get images. I just don't have to. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think this, what I'm about to say applies for one of the topics I hope we'll cover tonight, you know, in terms of NFTs, but I think, you know, for people like myself who have a, another job, another source of income, sometimes it's easier to take the high road because, you know, my livelihood doesn't depend on those types of things. So I, I can I can appreciate why people do things. I just wish people would be a little bit more. I, I would I would say that I don't. There's certain things I don't understand why they do them. Like <laughs> like trespass. What's if it's a national if it's a national park and the area is closed, but you're going to get you know some short term glory by bringing your 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 clients to this one spot and they're going to be thrilled for you know an hour or two. That that's a conscious decision to do the wrong thing, mm-hmm. and that I don't quite understand. Or uh, you know if you're you're baiting owls with live mice or something like that. That's, that's, that's an ethical line. You know exactly what you're doing. You know, it's wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. So I understand the pressures, the financial pressures of someone who is, um, you know, the, the, the starving artist, you know, it's a, that's a cliche also, but it's also true. It's in the art world. It's can be a difficult place to earn a good living. So I understand there's just pressures to, 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 there's temptations. I'll put it that way. It's temptation (laughs) to do, uh, unethical things, but you have to establish those boundaries early on. That that's there's certain places that you don't go, both physically or and your your actions. And and you could say, well, I understand why they why they may do that. Well, there's certain things I I wouldn't understand. I wouldn't be forgiving, and I know you wouldn't. I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt a lot um, and try to really understand. You know their personal circumstances and and weigh it. I'm, I'm very pragmatic as a person in general, probably because I have a degrees in counseling and stuff like that. So I've I've you know I've talked to people with heroin addiction who most of society would discount as being bad people, quote unquote bad people. If if they were in this in a similar circumstance, other people they would make the same mistakes that that person made. And so right. I, I'm very for, forgiving of people in terms of making those types of mistakes just based on their circumstances. But at the same time, I think we should all hold ourselves to a higher standard of ourselves and aspire to that and know mm-hmm. that we might not always reach that point, but, um, and, and we should be, we should give each other some grace too. You know, like there's a lot of variables that go into people's decision-making that we are not aware of, you know? Right. So that's kind of my take on that. And, and this comes from somebody who, my wife calls me very judgmental, so. <laughs> but I, I really do. I, I am very pragmatic in general, so. Um, and I, and I am so. I would admit my wife is probably correct, but <laughs> I really aspire not to be. <laughs> Anyways, so I feel like this is a, actually a fantastic segue into a very controversial topic, which is NFTs. I know that uh, you've been an early adopter of this new format of selling art digitally. As we all know, there are some environmental implications for this that are somewhat, 
I guess you could say immeasurable at this point. We, we're not really, you know, the jury is out. I guess I'll just say that. And that, and if anyone needs a primer on all of this nuance, they can check out episode 227. But, you know, as a, as a nature and landscape photographer, I'm curious for you, Richard, how have you personally reconciled the cognitive dissonance that might have been created by wanting to protect Mother, Mother Nature while engaging in an activity that potentially leaves a large carbon footprint? Right. So this is a balance between exception number three. <laughs> uh, exception number three, the, the sacrificing your self-respect and uh, looking over the horizon so you, you're, I'm doing both here, right? Uh, because so yeah, you do want to look over the horizon. You don't want it to. Um, I like to be on the, on the leading edge if I can. So this is this is my experience with NFTs. They intrigued me um, right away. So I was I was curious. I wanted to uh, see what this is about because at first I didn't understand it. Sure. I didn't even understand what a blockchain. I had no idea any of this stuff. I did a lot of <laughs> self research. So I um, I got into that space and I was successful because I was I was at the right place at the right time. Around April of this year, they were they were really hot. I mean, there anybody could sold anything. Um, and then I I did realize that this the um, that proof of work protocol blockchains like Ethereum have an obscene carbon footprint. Right. Um, Bitcoin too, but we that's they're not involved with NFTs. So yeah, that bothered me. That was my my only reservation. I I quit doing them. I did like four or five, and mm-hmm. I stopped. I don't think I I did one after April or late April or early May. Oh, okay. And um, but then I realized that there's technologies that use different types of protocols on blockchains that use you know uh, proof of of stake and yeah, proof, proof of stake, stake. authority. And uh, Ethereum was developing a second generation. Uh, technology that would be 99.5% more energy efficient than the original Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Basically, posting an image to Instagram would be the same amount of uh, yeah, right. carbon footprint as uh, minting an NFT. So I knew that this was, all the technology was changing. And so I, um, I became involved with this project called Focus Market that is an all photography NFT platform. Uh, and it's significantly more environmentally friendly than Ethereum, which is uh, pretty much dominates the NFT space instead of, um, and I know there's a lot of people are just against NFTs just because it's something new and different and they don't understand it. And there's just naturally against it. That's the, that's the wrong reason of all the reasons to be against it, be against it for the environmental concerns. Absolutely. I respect that. And that's, I feel the same way, which is why I think we need a solution. And one of the solutions is this project that I'm, that I'm create helping create, and it's like you know, we know SUVs are bad for the environment, and just then just um, disparaging all vehicles, knowing that there's there's electric vehicles and in Teslas and um, Priuses, you can't just lump lump them all together. If you want to mint NFTs now, there are environmentally friendly NFT platforms that you could you can go right now and buy NFTs or sell NFTs. So just to say, as a blanket statement, I hate NFTs because they're bad for the environment. Well, yeah, yeah, they they can be, but they can also not be. You mm-hmm, have a choice. Mm-hmm. It's like you have a choice when you buy a car. Um, but I am 100% convinced that the technology is moving towards much more efficient protocols that don't require the, the 
tremendous amount of power usage that Ethereum uses and, and Bitcoin uses. So um, I backed out and I quit. I haven't minted anything, but I'm waiting for my platform to come out before I start doing it again. And I could do it with a clear conscience. I, and I, I think there's a, a, a place for all photography NFT. I think that's going to be the next big uh, wave of um, NFTs. And I, I'm 100% convinced that NFTs are going to be the thing of the future. Um, I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. They don't like that. But I'm, I'm beyond convinced that it will be. So let's do it in a responsible way. And I'm offering a way. So that's kind of where I am. I ha- once once I quit doing using Ethereum, um, which is now four or five months since I've uh, I feel like I'm a druggie. It's been four <laughs> months I've been on Ethereum. Damn it! <clears throat> I'm just waiting for the right way to get back into it because I I don't want to be contributing to what is an obvious problem of uh, carbon emission, carbon dioxide emission. So. No, um, I, that's kind I, of where I, I am. That's that's in a nutshell, and I get attacked. You you may have seen it, and oh, I just got sure. to the point where I don't even try to respond because some of them are, well, you know, it, uh, NFTs are money laundering, and that's a Ponzi scheme, and I I don't have time to even respond. I do have a lot of respect for those who 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 object on environmental concerns because they're absolutely right, but that's going to change really really fast, and if mm-hmm. You don't want to be like uh, social media is just a fad in, in 2006. You don't want right. to be that person either. So right. try to balance that out. The number th- our number three exception of self-respect and looking over the horizon to what's coming up and, and put yourself in the right place. And you could do that with a clear conscience. So you can sleep at night and, um, and still have your self-respect in the same time. Yeah, it's been uh, for myself and, and for a lot of other people um, and, and- – uh, I guess full disclosure, like I, as like you, I, I I minted on foundation, and then I did some research, and I was like, oh God, <laughs> what what have I done? Right. So, you know, the, in terms of the environmental impact, and so I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of nature and landscape photographers that are looking at our our peers, people that we respect. Um, who are, you know, they're just like, how can you be for nature and know, like we, I think for a lot of these individuals, they know what they're getting into. Some of them don't, but some of them do. And they've made the conscious decision to, to, to move forward. And I think there's just a lot of frustration on the part of people who are like, Hey man, you, you love mother earth. You understand the climate crisis we're finding ourselves in. How can you move forward? And I think my, I guess, so this is a, my, way of formulating a question is to lay that foundation. But what would you say to people who are, I guess it's a two-part question. The people, what would you say to the people who are questioning their peers in terms of, you know, their moral decision-making? And then the second part, what would you say to, to our peers who, who have willingly with full knowledge that uh, Ethereum creates a lot of carbon footprint and they still participate. How do you address those two audiences? What would you say to them? Because it is a division that's happening. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you are um, environmentalist and you say you care about the environment and um, you, you acknowledge that there is a climate crisis and it's and, and you know, all the reasons why, 
and you're still using Ethereum, uh, Ethereum blockchain to 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 mint uh, your fo- photos. Well, then you're being a hypocrite. I mean, I, there's no other way to say it. You're, you're being hypocritical, or you're 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 willfully willfully participating in this destruction right. of our planet. Um, if you don't care, then you don't care. Uh, there's nothing we can do to stop you, right? So <laughs> right. if you're like, well, I'm a I'm a photographer. And I don't care about the environment. Well, that's 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 your right. You know, we can't force people to care about the environment. We hope they do. And so the, you're not going to get to those people anyway. So um, I, I mean that they have to live with themselves. And I like being a part of the solution, not being a part of the problem. So I can't really identify with those people who do that. And um, as for those who, um, so I, I for those who are just flatly don't want any part of this on the basis of environmental reasons. I have respect for that, but at the same time, don't, don't close yourself completely off to what's coming up. Mm-hmm. There, it's, it's, it's going to happen in a big way. And if you, you stay close to any opportunities that may be coming up, as I said, there's, 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 there's options now. There's not just one way there's different, there's options already. If nothing else, just um, educate yourself the best you can on what blockchain technology is, why the current versions of Ethereum are bad for the environment, and then look at some of the alternatives and some of the technology that's coming up here in the next, um, well, focus market that I've mentioned. I'm, this is not more. This is more, not just a shameless plug. I promise. <laughs> but there is there is other there are alternatives that are much 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 more. Uh, energy efficient and less destructive to the environment. Um, it's you can't just put it all into one basket and say they're all bad. Um, just what I don't have any uh, patience for are just the ignorant um, responses that I hate NFTs. Period. Don't don't even talk to me. Don't even try to change my mind. Don't even give me any facts. I have very little patience for that. I don't have patience for people who just again don't say they're Ponzi schemes or they're. I don't. That's. I just tune those out. I I do. I try to in the best way I can. And Twitter's. I know it's not always an easy um, platform to do that. It's try to explain that this is um, an evolving technology. It's not always going to be this way. Don't close your mind completely out to the possibilities because this is one of those over the horizon type issues or um, an opportunities. Don't. Don't do that. And you may not care. Says, so, well, I just don't want to be a part of it. That's fine. That's a free country. And nobody's forcing this on you. But if we can do that in an environmentally friendly way, which um, we're doing now, and it's going to be just more and more um, in that direction as far as the technology, then what other objections would you have to it? Other than that, I just don't want to be a part of it. And that's fine too. Yeah, I don't I don't know that you could make a tangible argument. I, I, do, I do see some that... Th- that there's that tendency of I don't understand it. It's new, therefore I don't like it. That's and fair. that's probably a bad reason to be against it also. No, I agree. Like there's a solution to that. It's called reading. It's yeah. It takes it takes a little effort sometimes, but I like learning. I love learning. I love yeah. learning new things. I love learning new words. I love learning uh something that interests me. I'll spend um way too much time just on the internet, just learning about something new sometime that that's just kind of struck my fancy. So there's, there's no excuse. If you have a connection to the internet, you can learn anything about any, anytime you want it's there. 
So just, yeah, just learn a little bit about it. And then um, you could still not like it and you could still say they're bad for the environment. And you would be right, at least at the present moment. Um, in most cases, since I'd say 85, 90% of, of NFT um, you know, transactions in, in, is, is on Ethereum, but it's changing. It's changing quickly. The technology is changing quickly. So just be, right. be open-minded to what's coming up. That's yeah, all. love it. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for your your candid answers about NFTs. I think you know it's such a challenging, challenging topic. Um, but I wanted to shift gears a little bit and go back to a little bit more of your kind of your your overarching success. So, you know, our mutual friend and your former business partner uh, Jerry Greer described what you've built as an empire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, you've got over what a million followers on 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 Twitter, which is pretty interesting. I don't think a lot of photographers can say that. I don't actually. I don't think anyone else can say that that I know of. But uh, what would you attribute your success to? Okay, so there's a little story there. Are you ready for this? I am. I, I love um, it. First of all, I think Twitter is underrated as a um, platform for photographers. I know pla- uh, for some reason photographers have avoided it. But I think it's highly effective. Maybe not in the way that they're they're seeing it, but um, it's helped me um, in a different way, and I'll explain that in a minute. But back in uh, uh, twenty thirteen or fourteen or 15, somewhere in there, um, there was an article done. It was run on Huffington Post and Forbes and a couple of places. The thirty most influential photographers on the internet, and somehow I was in there. I I, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have my empire back then or whatever. <laughs> Jerry, if you're listening, uh, we have to have a talk. My friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I was listed and they invited um, like six or seven of us to, to, to out to San Francisco. And we, it was uh, commissioned by this company and I can't remember who the company was. It wasn't a recognizable company, but um, folks from Twitter were there, Facebook, and um, they were just discussing strategies and how photographers were using social media and that sort of thing. And um, I liked Twitter. just I just liked the format better than, um, than Facebook. And at the time, Instagram really wasn't a thing. I think G Plus was, Google Plus Oh, was. yeah, of course. Um, and so I kind of developed just a relationship while I was there with them, and we stayed in touch. And they, they got to a point where they wanted to – be more involved with photography. And so they, they, um, they hired me as a consultant to help promote photography on Twitter. And then somehow maybe this is reward or it was just a coincidence, but you know, when you sign up for an account on Twitter or, um, and, and if you sign up a new account on Twitter, at least they used to, I don't think they do anymore, but you were given like a packet of followers like immediately to follow. And it usually had something to do with where you were geographically and what your interests were. So it would be like the president and maybe your senators and your local sports team and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had anything in your profile or your interest that had to do with photography or travel or any of those things, I was in that packet. I was in the packet of like, like of, uh, of followers that you, you automatically got followed. And I was getting, uh, 1500 to 2,500 followers a day for for several years for you know four or five years and then all of a sudden it stopped and i think maybe they quit that practice or um i wasn't consulting them anymore i wasn't you know 
so that just stopped, but it, it, it ran my, my, um, my follower number up to, um, well over a million. So that, that's the majority of it. But I, I think also that I've also been very active on Twitter and I always have ever since it first came out. And when I first signed up uh, embrace Twitter, I think as far as if you, if you evaluate the two major, um, and now there's three, I guess, the, the, if you look at the two major social media networks, uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, and you take the compound word social media, okay, it's two words, it's not a compound word, two words, social and media. Facebook would be your social part. Facebook is where you go to, you know, stay connected to family and reconnect with old friends and classmates and that sort of thing. And you share recipes and, and uh, what you did on vacation and, you know, prom pictures and all that kind of stuff. So Facebook, <laughs> Facebook is the social part of it. I hate that. I, I have a business page. I, I have um, you have to have a, a personal page to create a business page, and I have zero friends. I have zero friends. You can go to my my Facebook page. I have zero friends, and if I didn't have a business, I would I wouldn't be on Facebook or probably Twitter either, for that matter. Um, so that's the social part. Twitter's the media part. That if any media organization uses Twitter, um. Like crazy, you can't watch ten minutes of the news or ESPN without them either having the Twitter handle at the bottom of the screen of the, the person who's talking, or they're talking about a tweet, or they're talking about responding to some tweet. Twitter is at the center of media. It's like my my personal media organization or personal media uh, division would be Twitter. That's where. Um, that's how you connect. It's it's less personal. It's more uh, it's more business like, or it's more um, sanitized or something. It's it's hard to develop relationships with people on Twitter, although you can. But that's that's what Facebook is for. Facebook is the social part. Uh, Twitter's the media part. So what I did immediately on Twitter was I connected. Maybe not um, the way f like photographers want to use social media for retail reasons to sell prints, to sell workshops, to sell whatever. It's not Twitter's not the place for that, but but Twitter is a place where you make connections to people in business in the business in the industry. So um, almost all of, for example, all of the photo editors on National Geographic follow me on Twitter. All all kinds of media and, and the BBC and C and CNN and Time, all these people that I've done business with in the past, a lot of those connections came through Twitter. So yeah, they're not the retail type customers you're looking for. It's not. And I think that's why a lot of photographers kind of gave up on Twitter in a way that they may have an account, but it's either inactive or they're just auto posting from Facebook or from Instagram. Right. This is where I've made more um, professional connections on Twitter and, and they follow everything I do. I mean, that they, they see all the, the images every time I go on a trip. Hey, can I, can I use this image for this? Some company, some magazine in Malaysia that I even heard of everyone media related or, or um, they use Twitter every single day. And I was able to use that and leverage that to build up my business from the backside, not the front side, not the retail side. Yeah. So um, I think it's, you know, for me, it's, it's um, invaluable the, how I use it. And, um, um, and that, and I, and I try to stay personal. I try to stay, I try to answer questions I try, the best I can. I try to um, respond to um, direct messages. Somebody has a question. If I got time, I'll try to, you know, I can't recommend guys, guys, if you're listening, 
I can't recommend a camera to you. I just don't know enough about you. It's like recommending <laughs> a car to you that, and I don't know who you are or where you're from or anything about your life. So can you tell me a new car to buy? I mean, that's crazy. I can't really recommend the camera without knowing a lot more about you. So right. but I try to answer sincerely, genuinely um, questions about photography or travel or whatever it may be. And I've just built up a really loyal following on there. And I enjoy it. I enjoy getting on Twitter. It's very quick. And it's Facebook is a cesspool. I, I just hate getting on there for any reason. In fact, I don't, most of my, my Facebook is just auto posted from, from uh, Instagram. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why Twitter is, is, is a, is a diamond in the rough photographers. Um, there's more value to Twitter there than what meets the eye. And um, don't discount it as a platform just because it can seem like when you first open a Twitter account, you don't have followers and you're, you're posting things it, like you're shouting into the void because there's nobody listening, but you can create some very valuable um, connections um, on, on media, particularly in the media end. So, hmm. Yeah, I love that. I remember a couple months ago, I can't remember what it was, but I was very intrigued by it, but uh, there was a... I'm going to butcher this so you can correct me. Please correct me. Okay. But there was a journalist, journalist in quotes, uh, in, I want to say Salt Lake City or something yeah. like that, yeah. um, at a TV station. Does that sound right? Um, yeah. Who like pulled up one of your photos for, or maybe you, he like saw you posted a photo that you had taken like, I don't know, like in 2015 or something, like forever ago. Um, in Arches National Park of, uh, I think it was a Star Trails image. Double, and, double arch, yeah. Of double arch, and you had used some artificial lighting to, to light the arches. And as most night photographers know intimately who go to the national parks at Arches, you can't do that anymore. You can't use artificial light to in Arches. But I think that was passed in like, I don't know, 2019 or something right, like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> and this guy just went on this... Warpath to smear you uh, for his Twitter following, like saying that you are breaking the law. And he called me unethical. Yeah, and I was like, dude, I took this photo in 2015 before that law was passed. Okay, so so listeners, look, listen. There there is a rule that was instituted in 2018 or 2019 about night photography in Arches National Park that you couldn't eat light paint. Light painting is, you know, during a long exposure at night, you can take a flashlight or some kind of light and you can light up the rocks and it's, it's fun. It's interesting. It's kind of cliched now. I don't like really care about doing it. Okay. So that, that went into effect in 2018 or 2019. I posted a photo that was taken in 2015 or 2014. And so this was just a, some um, reporter uh, and Salt Lake City newspaper or, or radio station or TV station that just wanted to get a little self-righteous just because he needed some content for that day. And so he attacked me and called me unethical in this. And so I, uh, at first I was very cool about it. I said, Hey, look, you know, here's the, I even took a picture of my Lightroom and showed him where the date in the metadata that was taken. That wasn't good enough. So then, so then he got, then he kind of got embarrassed. I, I'm, I'm guessing he got kind of embarrassed that, that he did all this big grandstanding self-righteous type of, uh, posts and then he found oh that's right you know that that's a relatively new rule and it was a possibility that maybe he took it before that rule went into effect so then he shifted gears to well 
uh, it was my responsibility to tell people when I posted the photo that light painting is illegal. So, you know, that, that's, that's a much a lower bar. I mean, I just entertain. I just put my photos out there to entertain. Say, hey, look, here's the photo. I, I guess I could have said, yes, this was taken before the light painting ban went into effect. But um, I didn't. <laughs> but it's not my responsibility for every photo to, to explain what the rules and regulations were regarding that photo. In retrospect, maybe could I have done that? Yes, I could have done that. But sure. <laughs> it's not my responsibility. And it's not his, certainly his responsibility to to try to – he had a – you know, he's a, a – I don't call him a celebrity in Salt Lake City, but he has a following, a lot of people, to go out and call me unethical for um, – for first doing an unethical thing, and then after he was caught that that it wasn't an unethical thing that I did, I was unethical because I didn't tell my audience that this was taken before this ban went into effect. There you go. That's the long and short of it. Well, the reason I brought that up is because <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah, I appreciate you're welcome. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is one that you know I get people riled up on the podcast so that I can charge them for counseling afterwards, <laughs> and then. Two is because I think that it's good to recognize some of the uh, the downsides of being more of a public figure on on social media, in terms of being an easy target for journalists or or people that um, you know, like you said, like you got. I'm sure you got loads of negative comments on uh, NFTs, and and so I think there's a you know it's a double edged sword in terms of having a large following. So you're um you're in the counseling, right? Yeah. Okay. So how how do I get to the point where I don't care? How do I get to the point where something like that, uh, like an episode like that, happens, and I just don't care? I just move on. I keep moving on, and I I um I felt I felt bad about myself that I even let him get to me and that I even responded. I should have just right. let it go. I gave yeah. him probably a lot more attention than I should than than he deserved. Um. But how do I just how do I just let that go? And I and I got to the point where says, I'm not reading. I'm not even going to read uh, any of the comments on Twitter anymore. I'm just going to go. I'm going to post things and I'm going to post what I want and I'm going to step away. I'm going to go do my things. I'm not even going to read these. And I get pulled back in. And I start reading them and some of the comments are just. I think they're trolls. A lot of them. And help me, Doc. Help me. Help me. How do I just let that go? I I should let it go and I don't. Well. So a few things, I guess. The first one you've identified right away, like there are a lot of trolls in social media. So it, you know, the first thing I think we should do is, you know, I have a very quick read on troll versus not troll, right? I It's usually pretty obvious. They don't have a lot of followers. They're, you look at their account, it's a bunch of trash. They They just have negative things to say to everyone they talk to. And then if it's somebody who maybe is maybe they're another photographer in the space and you recognize the name or you know I think we have to keep in mind that it is a, it is a two-way street it's social media right and I think part of the reason why you've built a following is because people have come to expect that you'll interact and engage and I think that's one of the powerful things that social media can offer if people use it correctly is that it can generate dialogue and I think so I think it's good that you care, you know, what people think about you and your image, but you also have to take it with what it's worth, right? Um, 
if if it was, you know, I'm just going to use myself. Like if I had a negative comment, I probably should have slightly more weight than somebody who's like from Salt Lake City who doesn't even have a camera. For you know what I mean. So I think it's like we're you not disparaging value. Salt Lake City, by the way. We love Salt Lake City, right? Yeah, I'm a fan. I like Salt Lake City. <laughs> Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I think it, uh, I think you have to, it's hard not to, it's hard to not care. Right. Especially when it's because they're attacking who you are as a person, you know, they're attacking your. Yeah. Yeah, I think if he hadn't dropped the ethical, the, um, unethical word, then, um, I probably just let it slide. So this guy's ignorant. And so, what? I don't care what he thinks, but he had, he has a considerable following and he called me unethical. Um, you gotta defend yourself. What, I think man. that's what triggered me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with engaging. I mean, I think that's where you have to be careful, though, right? Is, and I think that's where I think the strategy is non-confrontational, educational. Um, you know, validating their perspective without saying that they're right. I think those are some of the strategies that you can use. You know, so. Right. Um, but it's hard when you're, you know, when, when I minted my first NFT, I got a lot of that because of who I am in the community. When, when did you do your NFT? Was it like in April, May? Uh, I want to say two months ago. Okay. I can't remember. But, you know, rightfully, I got a lot of like, people were like, really? You? You know? And I was like, yeah, what's wrong? And they're like, well, what about the environmental impact? I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard about that. Maybe I should... <laughs> Maybe I should look into that. And then, it, of course, as soon as I did, I was like, oh, yeah, they had a good point. So it's, you know, sometimes people have, there's a, there's truth to what people say. And I think the best thing you could have done in that situation is say something like, you know what? You're right. Um, I could have provided some education on what the current rules are. I didn't do that. And now you're, you're now you're doing that. Thanks for that. You know, you're, you're, better, hard, you're a better man than me. It's hard. I get it. <laughs> You know, but no, I I just wanted to highlight like social media isn't all uh, cupcakes and rainbows, right? Um, Puppy dogs and ice cream. It's 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 pretty intense, actually. With with a large following, you're you're criticized for every little thing. It's right. and you have to just kind of develop. Uh, I I don't care attitude for some of it, but I yeah. do care because yeah. there there are some people that I, I I truly like on there, and you're one of them, and there's many that. That if I did something that um, deserved uh, critique, then I would be open to it, but not some troll from Salt Lake City of all places. Come on. Yeah, and I think the the uh, there are two problems with social media, especially Twitter, that I think people should just be very cognizant of and remind themselves of constantly. And that is one that you cannot add context in terms of emotional impact with your text so like it's hard to tell if someone's being like attacking versus like just curious right sometimes those look very similar and, and then the but, but there's also you can't deny the fact that people say things on on social media behind a computer they would never say never. in person they would never say it to your face so I, if i just try to treat people online as i would if i were face to face wouldn't it be a better place yep that was kind of what I was going to say, except with the twist that it's hard to have that personal connection and nuance in 160 characters or whatever it is. So I think that's the thing people need to remember is that there's another human being 
on the other side of that message, right? True. And they don't. The, the anonymity creates this kind of shield where people feel entitled to just lay it all out there with zero consequence. And I think that's one of the things I like about Facebook over Twitter is that, you know, you're using your real name most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, social media is, it's an interesting thing, right? It's interesting. It's one word. Uh, what do you think? Net, net, it just taking everything, the good and the bad of social media, the good and the bad, we know what the good is and we know what the bad is. Um, on balance, a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, no, I love that question because I ask myself that question a lot. And I think unless you've lived before social media, like if you're an old person like me or you, not the same, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, it's hard to have that perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I think overall it's been, it's, it's, I think the balance is tipped to the negative in terms of its impact on society. Um, but you can't discount. I mean, like it or not, I would probably say the same thing about religion. <laughs> you know, religion, probably mostly on the negative over the arc of history, but you can't discount all of the good things it has has done for people and, and, and their lives and things like that. So You're not even going to get me to go there. Sorry. <laughs> hey, uh, I made the statement. You don't have to agree or disagree. So um, I was just using it as a litmus test, mostly just to say like it, on balance, I think it's mostly negative, but you can't discount the good. I think if I didn't have a business, I probably wouldn't be on it. Although I think Twitter is a good uh, news feed. If you, if you, all you do is, is you set up a news feed, like a list of um, the the type of news you like in the reporters, um, or or it's a it is a great news feed. If you use it for nothing else but, but consuming information, you don't have to create content, but you can just use it as a. I use it for both. So. I will say. For me, the thing that initially drew me to Twitter is um, through the through the use of hashtags, uh, you can get hyper local right. information that's right. way 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 faster than media than than journal journalists can catch up to. Um, a good example of this is a uh, 2011. There was a huge wildfire where I was living in Colorado Springs, the uh, Waldo Canyon fire, and you could get up to the second information on Twitter through using hashtags that you would probably find out a day, day and a half later on the, on TV. Use, so it's use, a really great way to do that. Use hashtags and then use lists. And yeah. it's a great way to get information. Yeah, I agree. Awesome, man. Well, shifting back to photography, I would love to hear about who you would recommend uh, for the podcast and for our listeners to dig a little bit deeper in learning about. Okay, I'll I'll throw out my my first recommendation would be Kevin Pepper. He is a uh, a, a workshop uh, Munch workshop pro that I work with. Uh, good photographer, great guy, and um, he's one of the funniest people I know as well. So um, I hope he's listening. So uh, so you can uh, reach out to him and get him on here. I think he'd be a, a good interview. And the second would be uh, Hall of Fame pitcher Randy Johnson. Uh, he's a huge wildlife photographer, a big enthusiast, and uh, I yeah. think the conversation with you uh, on on his career as a baseball player and a Hall of Fame pitcher, and then how he transitioned his life into this enthusiasm for wildlife photography would be fascinating. So um, maybe he's listening, Matt. Maybe he's a listener. You never know. Maybe he follows you on Twitter. 
Uh, we, I think he does. I think we both follow each other. But um, if I can make this happen, if I can be the facilitator to make oh this happen, we'll, we'll, we'll try to make it happen. But he is, uh, I think it would be a fascinating uh, guest. That would be a dream come true because uh, I grew up playing baseball. I was a pitcher myself and I played, uh, I was a pitcher in college. So that would be like so fun on so many levels for me. (laughs) Cool. Well, awesome, man. This has been so fun. We got into a lot of the weeds and some of the deep, (laughs) deep weeds and some of these issues like social media, NFTs, but it was was a blast. Yeah, man. I'm so glad we could finally make it happen. And uh, I just appreciate you taking the time out of your your wild schedule to to make it happen. Hey, man, appreciate it. I, uh, I and again, I apologize for it taking this long. It should have we should have done this a long time ago. That's oh, all good. All right. Well, thank you to Richard for the great conversation here on the show. I highly encourage everyone to go check out the work on his website and to follow him over on Twitter if you're not already. He's super fun. Well, sad to say, we ran out of time to record a bonus episode for Patreon this week. However, as a way of thanking our Patreon supporters, I've made this week's episode available a month early so that everyone supporting us on Patreon can check it out. Thanks to all of you. You rock. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.